0: Section twenty six of Character. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. Character by Samuel Smiles. Chapter seven. Part C although france has been the unquiet spirit among the nations of europe since the reign of louis the fourteenth there have from time to time been honest and faithful men who have lifted up their voices against the turbulent warlike tendencies of the people and not only preached but endeavored to carry into practice a gospel of peace of these the abbe de saint-pierre was one of the most courageous he had even the boldness to denounce the wars of louis the fourteenth and to deny that monarch's right to the epithet of great for which he was punished by expulsion from the academy the abbey was as enthusiastic an agitator for a system of international peace as any member of the modern society of friends as joseph sturge went to st petersburg to convert the emperor of russia to his views so the abbey went to utrecht to convert the conference sitting there to his project for a diet, to secure perpetual peace. Of course, he was regarded as an enthusiast, Cardinal de Bois characterizing his scheme as, quote, the dream of an honest man. Yet the abbey had found his dream in the gospel, and in what better way could he exemplify the spirit of the master he served than by endeavoring to abate the horrors and abominations of war? The conference was an assemblage of men representing Christian states, and the Abbey merely called upon them to put in practice the doctrines they professed to believe. It was of no use. The potentates and the representatives turned to him a deaf ear. The Abbey de Saint Pierre lived several hundred years too soon, but he determined that his idea should not be lost, and in seventeen thirteen he published his Project of Perpetual Peace. He there proposed the formation of a European Diet or Senate, to be composed of representatives of all nations, before which princes should be bound, before resorting to arms, to state their grievances and require redress. Writing about 80 years after the publication of this project, Volney asked, What is a people? An individual of the society at large. What a war? A duel between two individual people in what manner ought a society to act when two of its members fight interfere and reconcile or repress them in the days of the abbey de saint pierre this was treated as a dream but happily for the human race it begins to be realized alas for the prediction of volney the twenty-five years that followed the date at which this passage was written were distinguished by the more devastating and furious wars on the part of france than had ever been known in the world before the abbey was not however a mere dreamer he was an active practical philanthropist and anticipated many social improvements which have since become generally adopted he was the original founder of industrial schools for poor children where they not only received a good education but learned some useful trade by which they might earn an honest living when they grew up to manhood he advocated the revision and simplification of the whole code of laws, an idea afterwards carried out by the first Napoleon. He wrote against dueling, against luxury, against gambling, against monasticism, quoting the remark of Segré that quote, the mania for a monastic life is the smallpox of the mind. End quote. He spent his whole income on acts of charity, not in almsgiving but in helping poor children and poor men and women to help themselves. His object always was to benefit permanently those whom he assisted. He continued his love of truth and his freedom of speech to the last. At the age of eighty he said, If life is a lottery for happiness, my lot has been one of the best. When on his deathbed Voltaire asked him how he felt, to which he answered, as about to make a journey into the country and in this peaceful frame of mind he died but so outspoken had saint pierre been against corruption in high places that Mauparty, his successor at the academy was not permitted to pronounce his elegy nor was it until thirty-two years after his death that this honour was done to his memory by but the true and emphatic epitaph of the good truth-loving truth-speaking abbey was this he loved much duty is closely allied to truthfulness of character and the dutiful man is above all things truthful in his words as in his actions he says and he does the right thing in the right way and at the right time there is probably no saying of lord chesterfield that commends itself more strongly to the approval of manly-minded men than that it is truth that makes the success of the gentleman. Clarendon, speaking of one of the noblest and purest gentlemen of his age, says of Falkland that he, quote, was so severe an adorer of truth that he could as easily have given himself leave to steal as to dissemble, it was one of the finest things that mrs hutchinson could say of her husband that he was a thoroughly truthful and reliable man he never professed the thing he intended not nor promised what he believed out of his power nor failed in the performance of anything that was in his power to fulfil wellington was a severe admirer of truth an illustration may be given when afflicted by deafness he consulted a celebrated orist, who, after trying all remedies in vain, determined, as a last resource, to inject into the ear a strong solution of caustic. It caused the most intense pain, but the patient bore it with his usual equanimity. The family physician, accidentally calling one day, found the duke with flushed cheeks and bloodshot eyes, and when he rose he staggered about like a drunken man. The doctor asked to be permitted to look at his ear, and then he found that a furious inflammation was going on which, if not immediately checked, must shortly reach the brain and kill him. Vigorous remedies were at once applied, and the inflammation was checked, but the hearing of that ear was completely destroyed. When the orist heard of the danger his patient had run, through the violence of the remedy he had employed— he hastened to Epsley House to express his grief and mortification, but the Duke merely said, quote, Do not say a word more about it. You did all for the best. End quote. The orist said it would be his ruin when it became known that he had been the cause of so much suffering and danger to his Grace. Quote, but nobody need know anything about it. Keep your own counsel and depend upon it. I won't say a word to any one. Then your grace will allow me to attend you as usual, which will show the public that you have not withdrawn your confidence from me. No, replied the Duke, kindly but firmly. I can't do that, for that would be a lie. He would not act a falsehood any more than he would speak one another illustration of duty and truthfulness as exhibited in the fulfillment of a promise may be added from the life of Bulcher. when he was hastening with his army over bad roads to the help of wellington on the eighteenth of june eighteen fifteen he encouraged his troops by words and gestures forwards children forwards it is impossible it can't be done was the answer again and again he urged them Children, we must get on. You may say it can't be done, but it must be done. I have promised my brother Wellington. Promise, do you hear? You wouldn't have me break my word. And it was done. Truth is the very bond of society, without which it must cease to exist and dissolve into anarchy and chaos. A household cannot be governed by lying, nor can a nation. Sir Thomas Brown once asked, Quote, Do the devils lie? No, was his answer, for then even hell could not subsist. End quote. No considerations can justify the sacrifice of truth, which ought to be sovereign in all the relations of life. Of all mean vices, perhaps lying is the meanest. It is in some cases the offspring of perversity and vice, and in many others of sheer moral cowardice yet many persons think so lightly of it that they will order their servants to lie for them. Nor can they feel surprised if, after such ignoble instruction, they find their servants lying for themselves. Sir Harry Walton's description of an ambassador as, quote, an honest man sent to lie abroad for the benefit of his country, though meant as a satire, brought him into disfavor with James I when it became published. FOR AN ADVERSARY QUOTED IT AS A PRINCIPLE OF THE KING'S RELIGION. THAT IT WAS NOT WOTEN'S REAL VIEW OF THE DUTY OF AN HONEST MAN. IT IS OBVIOUS FROM THE LINES QUOTED AT THE HEAD OF THIS CHAPTER ON THE CHARACTER OF A HAPPY LIFE, IN WHICH HE EULOGIZES THE MAN WHOSE ARMOR IS HIS HONEST THOUGHT, AND SIMPLE TRUTH HIS UTMOST SKILL. BUT LYING ASSUMES MANY FORMS, SUCH AS DIPLOMACY, EXPEDIENCY, and moral reservation and under one guise or another it is found more or less pervading all classes of society sometimes it assumes the form of equivocation or moral dodging twisting and so stating the things said as to convey a false impression a kind of lying which a frenchman once described as walking round about the truth there are even men of narrow minds and dishonest natures who pride themselves upon their gesticular cleverness and equivocation in their serpent-wise shirking of the truth and getting out of moral back doors in order to hide their real opinions and evade the consequences of holding and openly professing them institutions or systems based upon any such expedients must necessarily prove false and hollow Quote, though a lie be ever so well dressed says george hebert it is ever overcome downright lying though bolder and more vicious is even more contemptible than such kind of shuffling and equivocation untruthfulness exhibits itself in many other forms in reticency on the one hand or exaggeration on the other in disguise or concealment in pretended concurrences in others opinions IN ASSUMING AN ATTITUDE OF CONFORMITY WHICH IS DECEPTIVE, IN MAKING PROMISES OR ALLOWING THEM TO BE IMPLIED WHICH ARE NEVER INTENDED TO BE PERFORMED, OR EVEN IN REFRAINING FROM SPEAKING THE TRUTH WHEN TO DO SO IS A DUTY. THERE ARE ALSO THOSE WHO ARE ALL THINGS TO ALL MEN, WHO SAY ONE THING AND DO ANOTHER, LIKE Bunyan's MR. FACING BOTH WAYS. Only deceiving themselves when they think they are deceiving others, and who, being essentially insincere, fail to evoke confidence and invariably, in the end, turn out failures, if not impostors. Others are untruthful in their pretentiousness and in assuming merits which they do not really possess. The truthful man is, on the contrary, modest and makes no parade of himself and his deeds when pitt was in his last illness the news reached england of the great deeds of wellington in india the more i hear of his exploits said pitt the more i admire the modesty with which he receives the praises he merits for them he is the only man i ever knew that was not vain for what he had done and yet had so much reason to be so so it is said of faraday by professor tyndall that, quote, pretense of all kinds, whether in life or in philosophy, was hateful to him, end quote. Dr. Marshall Hall was a man of like spirit, courageously truthful, dutiful, and manly. One of his most intimate friends has said of him that, wherever he met with untruthfulness or sinister motive, he would expose it, saying, quote, I neither will nor can give my consent to a lie, end quote. The question right or wrong, once decided in his own mind, the right was followed, no matter what the sacrifice or the difficulty, neither expediency nor inclination weighing one jot in the balance End of section twenty six